Broadcasting from the Woodpecker's studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. We rolling? Do it live. Do it live. Here we go. All right. So, Matt, I... Yeah, so I, I have a, a serious question for Matt on the over here. You, I was just watching a video that you put out on, on TikTok, and I have many questions. But the, So, Stomp, this guy put out a video, like an instructional video of how he makes his coffee, and it was, pretty, it was interesting, but I want to understand, Matt. So, yeah. you, you basically go outside, you, in your morning coffee, you go outside, you fill a cup up with, with snow because you're in Vermont you can do that and then you pour hot coffee in the snow and then from there you put a little bit more snow on top and then you pour is it it's just soda water or is it lemon seltzer it's what it's usually uh, citrus flavored soda water whatever I have on hand uh, grapefruit lemon um, lime but yeah soda water just seltzer water is that a thing is that something you picked up on hiking or is that that's something you invented in Vermont uh, I, I believe I believe that espresso with um, soda water is is, a, is a, an Italian drink um, to some extent. I just I just trashed it up by throwing snow in it and uh, soda water, just like grocery store soda water on top. All right, so that makes sense because I'm Irish, so I wouldn't understand the uh, <laughs> the thing. So I saw that and I was like, wow, that's that's a crazy drink. So I am going to attempt to make one of those at some point in the next couple of days. It's delicious. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it didn't look horrible, but I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. But um, all right, so we'll um, so Matt, we'll introduce you in a, in a few minutes. But hop in if anything comes up that you wanna wanna chime in on. But stomp, yo. The the biggest thing I wanted to open the show with is your trail name has been compromised, and it's I mean, there's a lot of buzz on the Instagram around the fact that your you, Mark basically just exposed your trail name. So do you want to explain yourself? He, he outed me, huh? Or he, he outed you on your, your real name, not your trail name. Correct. Correct. Yeah, you know, it's funny when it happened. He did it a, a couple times. And at the time, I'm thinking to myself real fast, like, I can edit that out. Um, and then regardless of whether I can edit it or not, I don't want to interrupt him at the moment because he was on such a roll. I felt like that if I interrupted him, <clears throat> it just would have taken away the the steam and the, the emotion of what he was talking about at the time. And when I went back to edit... He was so passionate. What was that? He was so passionate. Oh, hell yeah. He was a great, great guest. Um, so I didn't want to interrupt it. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, I can put like a bleep or I can put like a duck quack over every time they say my name. You know what I mean? But that, that's just, it wasn't going to work. So I just let it go. So yeah, yeah, the name's out there, um, which is fine. Nobody knows my last name. <laughs> I'm sure some Reddit sleuths will figure it out, but it's it's weird because when we, you know, before we started the show, I never, I sort of knew Stomp was something you use for some of your DJ stuff, but I never called you that. I always called you your your real name. So now everybody um, calls me Stomp. 
pumped. <laughs> yeah, now I can I it's weird to go back to Jamie so um, Yeah, it's wicked cool. You know, it's gonna be stomp moving forward. But anyway, well, I got some questions about it. So just so that everyone's clear, when Mark was referencing Jamie and how great of a guy he was, like first of all, he's not he's wrong about that. But <laughs> second of all, that's that's stomp. Jamie stomp, stomp Jamie. So Yes. Um, um, I'll be curious to see if anybody figures out my real name, but it may may very well be Magnuson from Greenland, because that's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. I came across the Great yeah. Ocean in a, a wicker basket full of fleece, and last name's Magnuson. Fleece or fleas? <laughs> well, it could have been a little both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it probably was. It probably was, so... Anyway, so um, do you, you want to give a COVID update, Stomp? <laughs> COVID? Dude, I do not have COVID. Let's hear your right. COVID well, update. You can hear it in his voice. He's a little sick. No, listen, listen. Co- the, remember the old flu from the good old days? It took a senior gap year uh, last year. Years ago. Yeah, it, it's back this year, and I got it with my wife. Um, it was weird. I got it last Thursday. We're recording what? What is today? Monday. I got it Thursday morning. I'm at the gas station and I look on the schedule for the snowmobile guiding and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not on there. So I call the, the manager and he's like, I, dude, I got COVID. I'm like, ah, shit. So that's why I'm not feeling so hot. So I, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not feeling so great. So I go home. Two hours later, I have 101 fever for three days straight. It broke yesterday. Um, and I'm just, it's all bronchial. It's all bronchial. You can hear it. Now my wife has it. She's yeah. been out of work delivering the mail. But several tests later, negative, negative, negative. You know, it is what it is. It's just a good old flu. Count me lucky. Did you did you test anally? No. <laughs> no. Have you heard about that? Try it, that They're way. pulling that stuff yeah, on you as diplomats, the, the, man. I can't <laughs> believe that. <laughs> yeah. oh, no idea. <laughs> so it's got to be data we'll talk about later i'm sure that oh yeah dude exactly. you're a conspiracy theorist that doesn't happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly um how's your COVID? all right so do you still have your oh, cough? Well, it's not great man i got a, a persistent cough the only thing that's persistent about me is my cough <laughs> Other than that, I just give up on everything. But it's it's uh, so I, I'm trying to mute myself, but you may hear me break into a cough once or twice on the show. So I, I'll try to behave, but it is hard. I can edit so, those out. But I'm on my on my on the mend. So good, you look better. Um, Color's better. Yeah, yeah, I got a haircut, so that helps too. But um, <laughs> I think before we, a couple of things stomp, stomp to just a warning for you tonight we're going to do search and rescue news but we're going to have a bunch of snowmobile accident news so as we're editing this show i want you to pull some like car crash drops <laughs> to put into it so you got to keep an eye on that got us. it on it um but a couple of updates i have is i just want to remind everybody if you can give us a five-star review that would be great um i don't know why but i have it in my head that like the more reviews we have the higher up we'll get on apple podcast uh, rating. So I think we picked up like four or five reviews. If you could just add um, five-star reviews on Apple, that would be great. And then over to you, Stomp, for sponsors and coffee talk. Yes, we have a few donations. Sarah without Nate donated three. Brandon from Lawtown. That must be Lawrence Mass, I'm assuming. Donated five. Yep. Renee, do you know this person? Renee? No, Brandon from Lawtown. Oh, no, I don't. Okay, because I was I wondering if it was somebody I knew from the boxing arena back then. Um, but I'm not even sure. Renee B. 
donated too. And she, she had a lot of nice stuff to say. Um, you can see her post on the Instagram page, Renee B. Um, at Jilly Bank, donated three. And then Shandy, another great volunteer from Upper Valley Wilderness, I believe, right? Medical response team. Thank you for so. uh, donating yep. seven coffees. That's very generous. And uh, you, she showed up as someone, but we know it's her. So thank you, Shandy. And um, yeah, and I, I got to reach out to Jill because I, I want to see if I get her and Car. So that's that's uh, that's Jill and Carter. Got it. Yeah, prolific hikers. So I got to reach out to her to see if we can get them on at some point. Oh, that'd be great. Um, a special thanks to our sponsor at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food. Craft beer and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch. Many 4,000 footers in less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. I spent some time with them last weekend um, just talking about their future plans and stuff like that. It was really neat. And um, they gave us a little gift that we're going to use a little later tonight for history. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And then uh, did you did you want to throw out anything about the hiking pole study? Oh, yes. Yes. What we're going to do, Andy Cannon from Reckless put together a very simple Google Docs questionnaire with a simple single leg stance balance test. And what we're going to do is post the links to both of these, and we'll probably put the videos up on um, Facebook and Instagram for you to participate. And what we're trying to figure out is if there is any difference between use of poles, balance, falls, things like that. So it's going to be really interesting. So in the show notes this week, keep a lookout for the links for the the balance test for poles and um, the questionnaire. Awesome. Anything else before I do the show intro here, Snop? I think we are good. All right, so welcome to this Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Tonight, we're joined by our friend Matt, who is going to talk about through hiking. So we've touched on through hiking a little bit, but we're going to do a deep dive tonight. Um, So we are quickly approaching March, which is when thousands of through hikers set out on the trail to experience the joys and misery of southern Georgia in the late winter on the Appalachian Trail. So Matt is going to join us because he's an experienced through hiker, having hiked the Appalachian Trail and the Long Trail. Um, He's also going to talk a little bit about trail magic and his plans to hike the PCT later this year. Um, He'll also share some stories about overcoming serious challenges and struggles to maintain a balanced and happy life. You're happy, right, Matt? Mostly, yeah. Okay, good, good. so Matt, he, he's also, some people may know him by his, his trail name, Posy, but we'll talk about that in a little while. But he lives in Vermont. Um, he's got a very fun social media presence that's kept me quite entertained for the last year or so. Um, so we're excited to have him sit down with us to teach us all about long distance hiking. Um, later in the show, we're going to do a segment about Camp Stark, which was a World War II prisoner of war camp in New Hampshire, which I actually didn't even know about. So thumbs up to Stomp for finding out about this. And then we'll close out the show with some recent search and rescue news, which will mostly be about snowmobile crashes. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp Magnuson from Greenland. Let's get started. All right. All right. So shouldn't you be saying that with a Greenland accent? <laughs> I... <laughs> What is a Greenland accent? I don't even know. It's probably uh, Inuit, right? You got to be like that guy from Frozen, the movie, you know, the, the, the store owner. I can't do it, so we'll just move on. Um, all right, so beer talk here. So, Stomp, what are you drinking tonight? Anything? Um, Robitussin? Just coffee. Yeah, coffee to keep me alive. That's it. What you got rolling? I am drinking something called Liberty Call by Stellwagen beer company so i had something else from stellwagen the other day 
And um, the local place that I buy beer from had a whole selection, so I grabbed a couple of different IPAs. So it's not bad. It's a little like um, smoother than a lot of the IPAs I've been drinking lately, which I appreciate because I'm I'm kind of a big pussy when it comes to beer. Hmm. Yeah. What do you got, Matt? Actually, uh, I I started drinking beer again. No, I'm just I <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a Lagunitas non-alcoholic IPA tonight. Holy uh, shit. So when you said that, Matt, the first thing I talked about, I was like, oh my God, maybe this dude's a former alcoholic and like I pressured him into drinking a beer and it's going to ruin his life. That's awesome. Nope, uh, I'm celebrating actually 18 months sober and uh, doing it with a non-alcoholic beer. Awesome. Now is the sober, is it, so when I stopped, I stopped drinking beer for like 10 years or so and it was mostly just like a couple of things. Like I was gaining weight and then number two, I was sort of like, I want to sort of li- live a disciplined life and... I just felt better when I wasn't drinking, but I have gone back to it. But I don't know, is it, is it 18 months like sober, yay, or is it 18 months like I'm just doing a health kick thing? Um, it, well, altogether, it's it's somewhere like three or four years. I, I, I've been back and forth, um, but this time it's it's just straight up just I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I can't live with alcohol, so I'm over it. Yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm Vermont sober. Okay, got it. That makes sense. So, um, stick to it though. Stick to it. If you feel if you feel better not drinking, then that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. So, um, stop any recent hikes for you? No, man. I've been laid up, so that's I got nothing. I got nothing. I have some weird dreams too, man. I was dreaming about hiking and snowmobiling and stuff like that, and I was binging. I'm binging Yellowstone on the couch for the last three or four days, so I was having this weird hybrid dream of snowmobiling and yellowstone isn't that weird yeah i think it might be a new show called yellow snow (laughs) (laughs) put the drop in there put the drop in there i'll drink to that yes so um so no hiking for you no hiking (laughs) for me either i am like i'm getting out next weekend though i did do a little bit of a hike we had a, a storm down here in massachusetts and I just left my house and I did like a four mile hike in the woods around my house, which was nice. There was nobody around because it was it was like blizzard conditions. But um, heading back up north next next weekend, I don't know where I'm hiking, yeah. but I'm gonna, you guys I'm going out for got sure. the worst of it. We got nothing up here. I mean, it was like a couple inches maybe. Yeah. And I'm talking yeah. Waterville Valley area, but even north towards Bartlett, I think it was sort of panned out. Are you guys yeah. expecting anything this this coming weekend? Fourteen inches. Based upon my radar, hell yeah. It's like, it, yeah, we're looking at, at, at like 10, 10 to 15. Yeah, it's like two days, seven and seven for um, this region. So we'll see if that works out, but that'll be a dumping. Yeah, yeah. even better if you're getting some snow because I'll, I'll, I definitely will be happy to break trail up there, but I'm, I'm getting up north for sure. But yeah. in Massachusetts, we had where I was, I'm on the New Hampshire border. We got maybe about a foot, a little over a foot, but there was like sections down by the Cape in the South Shore that got um, like two feet of snow. So they're, they're clearing out pretty, pretty heavily. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Any, any recent hikes? I know you're always out. I see on social media, you're always cruising locally. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to, I try to make my hikes just, you know, my errands that I have to run across town or something like that. So I, nothing, be, nothing above like two or three miles uh, since snow started falling. Cause I do not enjoy walking through the snow. 
got it. Now, I don't know how much you pay attention to this stuff. Like, and you can, we'll get into this in a little while, but my impression is, is like, you're not, you haven't been in New England a long time and you're in Vermont. So you might be a little bit away from like the crazy peak bagger list hiking shit that we do in New Hampshire. But do you do any of that stuff or do you not care? Um, I, I've never, I've never actually cared about the peak bagging until recently. I just started actually getting interested in it. And, uh, I learned, uh, that, Getting up to like Franconia Ridge, for example, when there's eight feet of snow is actually easier uh, because you don't have to climb over all the rocks and everything. So yep. um, I definitely want to get out there and bag those peaks in the winter at some point. Cool. Yeah. Well, you'll uh, if if the bug bites you, feel free to hit me up anytime. I'm I'm a little bit of a, a like a maniac when it comes to the list and the peak bag and stuff. So. Oh really? This yeah. Is good to yeah. Know. Yeah, exactly. But uh, awesome. So you ready? We're going to move into the Matt segment. You ready for this? Yeah. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So um, I wanted to start off. So we wanted to have Matt on. I have been following him on uh, TikTok, believe it or not, is the... The app where I think you're most active, um, and I wanted to have you on to give a little bit of your perspective about through hiking. I think you, you know, I don't wouldn't say I know you, but I think over the last year and a half or so, just sort of catching one minute videos, you sort of pick up on things about people. And I was like, this would be a really good guy to have to talk about through hiking. And we've touched on through hiking a little bit, but mm-hmm. we haven't done a deep dive on it. So tonight, I wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive, but. Before I hand it over to you, Matt, I wanted to just sort of give you my perspective about how I've sort of come to not really know you, but like I've I've just been aware of you is like when COVID hit in March of 2020, there was like three things that I think everybody started doing, one of which was um, everybody watched Tiger King. So that was the big thing. And then a bunch of like older adults started getting into TikTok. So that was number two. And then number three was obviously like the whole COVID protocol stuff. But um, we were, you know, my whole family, like we started getting into, into TikTok. And at first it was like this sort of funny, goofy thing. Like I, we were all like, oh, we're too old for TikTok, blah, 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 blah. But over time, like this algorithm on TikTok is like, it's, you know, it's unbelievable because like I started like slowly but surely looking at hiking, you know, different hiking videos. And I actually, before I even started really watching TikTok that much, I put up like, I have a stupid account called Patriot mask. If you want to find me on TikTok, um, I put up like one video of the plane crash site on Mount success. I don't do when you did the through hike. Did you, did you do the detour to check out the plane crash, Matt? I didn't do it when I did my through hike, but I've done it since. Got it. Yeah. So I did like one video on TikTok and it had that like spooky music behind it that you would know it when you, <laughs> if you heard it. I think but, I followed you on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be. That that could be it. And um, I got like, I don't know, like a half a million views or something like that. So for me, it was like this funny thing where my kids were like, oh, you know, all these influences, whatever. And I was like, yeah, matter of fact, I got a couple thousand followers now and I got a video with a half a million views, whatever. So it was kind of a fun thing. But over time, the algorithm starts sort of picking up on what you like and what you see. So I always, I can't think of a time where I've gone on TikTok where you, there was a little bit of a period where you went dark for about a month or two. I think you were switching jobs and we'll talk about that. But um, most of the time, you're always like, 
you're on there when I when I get on there. And I've sort of moved away from Facebook and Instagram as much as I can, but I haven't really cut the cord on TikTok. So I usually, before I go to bed, I'll watch for like 20 minutes or a half hour, and you're always on there. And I think your videos are fun, entertaining, and engaging. And, you know, you you got, what, like three minutes max? Most of the time your videos are like 30-second stops. So, Yep, yeah. I, I, I try to keep it short and fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and I think your... Before I was into TikTok, and I I don't really follow too many other hikers, but like I would like follow Dixie on YouTube or Darwin or New Hampshire hiker or Braids. They're like the social media people on YouTube. But I, I, yeah, yeah, they're all great. And um, you know, I I just figured that um, you know, would be interesting to have you on. You've got a lot of cool sort of hacks about gear that you've you've thrown up over time. You've got a really good perspective, I think, about sort of a Zen way of looking at hiking. So that's why I wanted to have you on. I'm, I'm in. Oh, it, that all works for me. And uh, thank you for finding my TikToks entertaining. I mostly just do them to entertain myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's cool. But I guess maybe to start off with, do you want to sort of give your origin story, particularly about like what, what a little bit about your background and then um, a little bit about how you started getting into hiking, maybe up until the point where you decided that you wanted to hike the AT. Yeah, so I'm, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. Uh, my dad uh, got us into scouting when we were young, really loved back. Well, he loved hiking, not necessarily backpacking. We did a lot of camping and day hiking and stuff like that. Um, I never really enjoyed it that much. I just, we, we would go out and um, I learned that, I learned later on that I didn't enjoy the social part of it, but we'll I'll get into that a whole bunch later on. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we we uh we would go up to uh, Sunfish Pond right up there on uh, the Appalachian Trail, and it's not far out of um, Delaware Water Gap, so to New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. And uh, my dad would uh, you know, take us up there, and we'd go out for that day hike, come back, and you know, just camp down at Worthington State Forest. And uh, while we were out there, we would encounter through hikers and talk to them, and you know ask them all the classic questions, you know, where are you going? Where did you start? You know, how long is this taking? You know, all that kind of stuff. And, but I never really was super interested in the Appalachian trail growing up. I wasn't really super interested in hiking. Um, I was not a very active kid. You know, I, I got into football because I was a heavy, you know, lineman, but that's about the extent of my athleticism as a yep. young person. Um, later on in my life, as I got older, uh, after high school, moved to Austin, Texas. Um, I was bartending in Austin. I had lost some weight and uh, started getting nostalgic about the idea of like getting out and doing something, walking, uh, started walking to and from work four miles every day and realizing that I really enjoyed that part of exercise and, and daily activity. So um, started looking back and getting back into hiking. Um, How was the, in, in Texas, did you have a lot of options just from like, you know, obviously walking from work was easy, but did they have traditional trails like we would think of up here in the Northeast? Uh, no. It, so Texas has the Lone Star Trail. Um, that the Lone Star Trail is very flat. There, there's not a lot to it. In fact, I've never walked it. I've only read comments about it on Gut Hook and Reddit and things like that. Huh. Um, there's a lot of, you know, day hiking. There's a lot of like short hikes. There's, uh, there's one place called Enchanted Rock in central Texas in Fredericksburg. That place is amazing. It's 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 a large. It's almost like a smaller version of Half Dome in Yosemite. If you're familiar with that, yeah. large rock you can hike up to the top of, and 
there's a lot of hiking trails around it and everything, but there's there's not a whole huge hike. It's it's like LA hiking mm, in very Austin. flat state. <laughs> so you're basically you're working in Texas, and then um, was it like a did you have like a life changing epiphany, or was it just solely over time? You said yeah, I want I want to get back into getting up north and and, and changing things. Oh yeah, so no, I um when I was when I was in Texas, I, I was. 400 pounds. Um, I, <laughs> my roommate at the time came home and she talked, she was talking about this diet, this uh, ketogenic diet that, uh, you know, I didn't really know too much about. I, I hadn't done any studies or anything on the ketogenic diet. I just did it out of solidarity with her. Um, I wasn't even interested in losing weight at that point in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But I did, I, I, I did that out of solidarity with her. The first month I lost like 30 pounds <laughs> and it just took off from there. I, I enjoyed, you know, losing the weight. I enjoyed the way that I felt. And, uh, after I lost all that weight, I started getting more active. I started getting out and walking and, um, you know, really, really started to, uh, get out there and, and do my thing. Got it. And then at what point did you sort of feel like you wanted to step away from Texas? I, <laughs> so I had to move out of Texas. I, so the girl, I was living with uh, my best friend, my best friend who, uh, she, she had just recently got engaged to her now husband and, um, I didn't have anywhere to live. So I had to get back to New Jersey to move back in with my uh, parents. And I was trying to figure out ways to get there. And, uh, one of the ways that I briefly considered was to walk to New Jersey <laughs> to go visit my parents um, or to go live with my parents. As I was, when I was thinking about doing that, um, the Appalachian Trail came into mind and uh, I decided that instead of trying to figure out how to road walk to New Jersey and, and burning my feet up, I would go and hike the Appalachian Trail. Right, nice. And then you're, <laughs> did you, did you have to spend a lot of time sort of prepping and doing the, the gear research and, and all that fun stuff? Or were you just sort of like, I got to go. I, I kind of live a life where I decide to aim first or I, shoot first and aim second. Uh, you know, I, I, I come up with these grand schemes, these great, these great ideas. And then I just figure out how to make it happen from there. So I did very little research on gear. Um, the Appalachian trail was my first backpacking trip. And I kind of walked into it blindly and uh, there were a lot of mistakes made. You know, I, I learned a lot of lessons, but if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough, right? Yeah. Now, did you do, um, did you do a traditional like northbound? Did you start at Springer Mountain and, and go all the way through? Yeah. Yeah. My first through hike, I, I did all the, the classic stuff, the classic way, you know, I, I, I wanted to be traditional about it. I did the stairs and all that kind of stuff too. Okay. And you, you started by yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, the, the best way to describe it is that we, we hike alone together, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I had nobody else hiking with me. Um, you know, like, like with my next hike, I'll be hiking with my wife. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a little while, but the, the gear choices, what did you do? Did you just gear up at like, um, like Walmart and target, or did you have like legit stuff to start with? I went to REI to get a pack and, okay. I ended up with a pack that was much smaller than most people recommend. I ended up with a 38 liter pack. Okay. Um, and turns out that that was perfect for me because I'm a, I, I'm a minimalist hiker, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, and I got a tent actually donated to me by an Instagram follower. <laughs> so, 
Um, and uh, that that tent nice. turned out to not be the best in the world, but it was it worked. I mean, it was free. Uh, it was light. It was a Z Pax. Uh, Z Pax. Oh, that's uh, not bad. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Z Pax Hexmid Solo. The only problem was that uh, it was already ripping on the on the fly, and I didn't notice it. So I okay. found out one night in a storm uh, by Rufus Shelter that it had a lot of holes in it. <laughs> so I just want to backtrack for a second. So it, these trips take preparation. Um, so you went from Texas straight to Georgia? And- no, no. So I, I went from Texas to New Jersey. Oh, okay. Uh, and I lived at my parents' house for uh, quite a few months before um, hiking the trail. Gotcha. I... <laughs> <laughs> I was working for my dad. Did you set up all the, the cash spots and things like that? No, no, I, I didn't really cash anything. I did mostly mail drops when I had to. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious. But, uh, yeah. I, I was, I was living at, with my parents, my dad and my brother own a flooring business. And, um, I had all the money saved to hike the trail. And, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I cut my fingers off at the table saw. Oh wow. yeah, I want to hear about this story. So this was so before you hiked the Appalachian Trail, mm-hmm. you were doing a little. You were working for your dad, and you on the table saw you you cut your fingers off. Yes, yeah. So uh, yeah, last job of the day. I'm I'm there to help my brother out, uh, and he just needs like two or three boards ripped. So like no big deal. I'm gonna go out and rip these boards, whatever. So I, I, I go out there and. I get through one board and I blacked everything out. I don't even know what happened, but next thing I know I'm standing on the front lawn uh, with three fingers missing and uh, we're rushing to the hospital. Did they put them back on? Yeah. Yeah. They sent oh, them let back me on. See. Let me see. Interesting. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Philly, that's crazy. Philly standard. Yeah, I can't. They're useless. Um, I can't feel them. I, uh, well, that's I fine. If you get frostbite, it's no big deal. <laughs> that, well, the only time that I feel any sensation in them is when they get cold because there's so much metal in, in my fingers. Mm. Really? So I, it gets really painful when they're cold. Yeah. How long after you had that accident did you get on the trail? That happened in October. I got on the trail in uh, March. So five months. Okay. Were you early March or mid March? Early March, March 4th. Okay. Do you, um, do you recommend that early March start? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I recommend it if you like being accidentally cold. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, when I was going out there, I used to, my dad was, uh, he was telling me, oh, you're, it's going to be cold. And I'm, it's Georgia. It's not going to be that cold, you know, and it, it got cold. Um, night one was 16 degrees. Night two was like 20 degrees. So immediately had to make decisions to camp at lower elevations just to stay warm because I only had a 32 degree bag. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're heading up trail, you got the 38 liter pack, you got a decent tent, but you got some issues. Um, did you have to stop it? Is it Neil gap or Neil's gap? What did you have to stop and really get shaken down there? Or were you okay there? Everybody's going to, you're, it's always going to be an argument, whether it's Neil gap or Neil's gap, just so you know, like it, mm-hmm. you're, no matter who you ask, you get a different answer. So I, I call it Neil Gap just because that's the first time that I saw it was Neil Gap. But um, yes, I did stop there. Um, I did 
consider my life choices there uh, <laughs> and, then, and then eat an entire actually two entire frozen pizzas yeah so for the listeners that aren't aware so neil or neil's gap this is basically i think it's what about 25 miles into the trail you've already gone through a couple shelters and this is where a lot of people who are first timers like matt just explained like he didn't do a lot of planning he wasn't like previously doing a ton of backpacking aside from when he was younger a lot of times people sort of like you said, they, they reevaluate their life situation 25 miles into the trail. And they, there's a couple of, there's like probably three scenarios, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of reasons why, why people end up, you know, walking off, but yeah, uh, there's, there's actually a, a really neat tree uh, right out front that people throw their shoes on when they quit. So it's, it's full of shoes every year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's one scenario is people just, they say, I'm not going to have it and I'm, I'm done. And then the other two scenarios are they just keep going or they get a shakedown. And a lot of times people get rid of the gear that they don't need and they'll get really, you know, geared up there correctly. So, yeah. And is I heard there's good frozen pizza there too. <laughs> it's terrible. It's Red Baron. It's, it's terrible yeah. frozen pizza. But yeah. it, I mean, it's good when you, when you've only eaten at, at that point, cause I got moused in deep gap. Which, for anybody listening, that means that a mouse got into my food bag and ate most of my food. So I was I was eating only eat oatmeal for three days, um, and it was super super cold. So it was it was an exciting time. Um, really proof that you have to uh, be able to think on your feet if you're going to finish a through hike for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're you're starting a through hike. A typical person starts at Springer Mountain in Georgia. You do that first 25, 30 mile um, section. A lot of people take a couple of days, three, four, five, four or five days to do that. And that is typically where you start to get to know people. And can you talk a little bit about Matt? This is where you sort of become like you either become a shelter rat or you become a loner or you start making your trail family. You know, I know that happens more like the first couple hundred miles. But can you talk a little bit about that and like well, how your your experience was? I mean, you start, you, you definitely start working your habits into your hike, your first couple of days. I mean, it, it really does decide. I mean, you, don't get me wrong. I, I walked into the trail, um, intending to hike 30 mile days. And, uh, so my first, my first four or five days, I, I, I just burned through a lot of people and, and didn't make a lot of friends, but, uh, I got to the Smokies at that point and, uh, met, uh, a, a lot of really nice people, a lot of really good people and eventually let the people who I passed in the first few days catch up to me and realize that they were all like solid people as well. All right. So when you, you got your, you start making your crew in the Smokies, um, did you, and I'm always curious about this, like, cause I know me, like I, and I do a little bit of like, I do like section hikes a little bit, of, you know, a couple of days here and there. And I never have any interest in sleeping in a shelter. Cause I just get freaked out about sleeping near other people that I don't know. And I just have like a one person tent and that's how I like to do it. You know, obviously if my wife was with me, she doesn't hike, they would be different, but like, I don't have any interest in getting in the shelters. Did you take that same approach or over time? I was a straight up shelter rat the entire hike. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the only, I, so I slept in a tent on day two, uh, because it was super cold and I had to camp, uh, in a super low elevation, but, um, I don't think I broke my tent out until Pennsylvania <laughs> after that. <Really? laughs> yeah. See, I would have so much anxiety about it. Cause like for me, like, and again, I, my experience is a section of, like for me, I'm thinking like, all right, what if I don't get there on time? And, um, 
the the shelter's all full? Or what if I get there early and there's a couple of girls that come and I'm the creepy guy that's there? Or what if, um, you know, I, I snore and I'm bothering people? Like I have all these like anxieties about like this idea of being in the shelter. Obviously, like if it's pouring rain or something like that and you don't want to set your tent up, that's a different scenario. But like that's not as common. But how did you get over that that anxiety about the shelter situation? I mean, there are a lot of what ifs, but you, I mean, you also have to realize that every single person who sleeps in that shelter has the same what ifs going through their mind and um, everybody else snores. As soon as you sleep in there, you realize that everybody else snores. Um, the shelters only are congested when you're walking through, you know, a, a high traffic area on a weekend. You know, same same thing as hiking, you know, in the whites, you know, you, you avoid certain trails on, on certain days and if you're if you're hiking through a high traffic area, you, you either speed up or slow down so you're not hitting those shelters on weekends and that's how you avoid, you know, them getting overcrowded. Got it. And then what was your approach? So typically for people that aren't aware of through hiking, typically and again, this is typical but not not written in stone most of most of the people that are through and doing through hikes are like five days on the trail and then they'll either hit a town or a hostel or something like that to resupply and a lot of times people will take what's called a zero or sometimes they call it a nero so a zero means you're not doing any hiking a nero means like you're doing like two three miles into town and that's it like what was your what was your system would you say overall once you got into a groove Oh, when, when I got into the groove, it was, I, I'd, I'd say probably every 10 days or so I'd had a, I had a Nero or a zero. Um, I mean, I, I, zero days are kind of, you know, the, the, the best part of hiking. And, and <laughs> I always joke that, uh, my favorite part of hiking is the not hiking. So, um, we took advantage of, uh, zeros whenever we could. I, once I got my uh, trail family going and everything, um, and, uh, yeah, we, we shelter zeros and, um, you know, whatever we had to, to, you know, rest up and, and get whatever we needed for our bodies and, you know, enjoy trail towns when we were there. Got it. All right. And then another question I have is eventually you sort of get your water system down and I want to talk about your, your trail bidet later, but you get your water system down or did, were you filtering water or did you do what I know some through hikers just say, I don't even bother filtering. I just scoop it up and drink it. What, what was your, your water system? My, my filters, uh, I go with the uh, Catadine Be Free. I don't know if you have yep. used that before. Yeah. It's the one with the super fast uh, flow rate. And when you use something like that, I mean, it's, it's just easy to send your water through it anyway, you know? So I just, I just filter by proxy if that's the easiest way to store my water and, and carry it, you know? Okay. Got it. And then, so you're in the Smokies, you sort of get in your connection to the trail family. So I want to talk about, there's all t- different types of blazing, but Stomp, do you know, have you ever heard of pink blazing? <laughs> pink blazing is? I have no idea. No. All right. So you know blazing, right? So yeah. there's yellow blazing, which is when you take a ride um, into town, I think, or you skip the trail by getting rides. Blue blazing, I think, is where you take like a spur trail. And then pink blazing is when you like meet somebody. Like, you you know, you're hooking up basically. Interesting. Um, So I'm curious, did you meet your wife, Matt, on the trail? I did meet my wife on the trail. So Uh, you were pink blazing. I I was actually yellow blazing more. Okay. <laughs> shades of shades of pink. <laughs> yeah. You were making it subtle. No. It was a little subtler than usual. <laughs> no, uh, so 
I met my I met my wife uh, using Tinder um, because I we got into a habit uh, in 2019. We got into a habit of using Tinder to uh, accommodate or uh, facilitate uh, nights off trail. You know, if you're going through a town and you need a bed to stay, and you'd use Tinder. And a lot of times there was a person <laughs> hold on, on the other hold end. on. You're gonna have to go into detail in no, this one, buddy. No, we're not letting this one slide. <laughs> Listen, there was no expectations. <laughs> but so it, it was kind of, there was in these trail towns, there was a, a, an unspoken agreement on in, in Tinder sometimes where they, they would connect and just offer a bed to stay in or, you know, laundry or just, just a, you know, a night off trail. And I, mean, uh, I can't imagine that like, there wouldn't be a horde of people that are just like, let me hook up with a smelly through hiker for the night, you know, <laughs> or, you know, obviously no, no strings attached or no promises, but that's awesome. Mike, there are some really creepy people out there. You'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, there's also uh Maine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you, so you were hiking. Was your, so your wife wasn't on trails. She was just in a trail town. Yeah, no, she, yes, um, we live in, uh, Randolph, Vermont, which is like dead center Vermont. And, um, I met her, I, I had, uh, this was way up North. This was just walking into New Hampshire. Um, I was camping just outside of Dartmouth and we matched on Tinder and she picked me up the next day in Lyme. Okay, cool. And then did she get back on trail with you or was it just you guys connected one we connected one and and then I had a cush hike for the rest of the hike. She would uh, pick me up every weekend, so I would hike five days. I was a, I was a banker hiker. I would hike nine to five five days a week, and then she would pick me up and I'd come to Vermont and do Vermonty things for the weekend, and then she'd drop me back off on trail on Monday morning. Oh, so that's the connection to Vermont then. So all right, so then if I understand this correctly, you basically you you just put a call out on on Tinder. I don't understand. I'm an old guy. I don't understand all this shit, but it works. And then she, then you guys make enough of a connection where you become a banker hiker and she's just picking you up on the weekends and you're doing your thing. Yeah. 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 So, uh, she, we, you know, her, her version of the story, her version of the story will be, you know, she, she picked me up and we connected and we both realized early on that, you know, we, we had this connection and everything. And, um, I mean, all that's absolutely true. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I, <laughs> my version's a lot more simple than that, you know? Uh, but either way, um, so yeah, we, uh, she, she picked me up. We, I spent three nights with her the first time, uh, three unplanned zeros. And she talked me into getting back on trail when her bed was really comfortable. And, um, I think her exact quote was, I'm not the person you think you want in your life if I let you not go back on trail right now. Yeah. You know? Um, so then, uh, yeah, she pushes me back on trail, and I get back on in Lyme, New Hampshire, and walk up to Grafton Notch, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, she picks me up again at Grafton Notch, and I spend the weekend there. I think that was 4th of July. And... Yeah, another three days. Yeah, I get back on Monday. She picks me up on Friday night. I get back on on Monday morning. And then, uh, yeah, um, where, where, where else did she pick me up? She picked me up at uh, Rattle River. Okay. Or shout out to Rattle River. Um, she picked me up at, uh, oh, she hiked um, Katahdin with me too. She summoned a Katahdin. Oh, 
So she finished with you. So that's 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 interesting. And then before that, when you so you connected with your your trail family in uh, the Smokies, as you're making your way through the Smokies and you make your way through Virginia in in that area, were there any moments where I think, from my understanding, I've talked to a few people. I feel like Virginia, a lot of times, like that state becomes like at some point, that's where the doubts start to creep in, and that's where sort of you know, you get into either a routine and you start questioning, am I going to stay on trail or am I going to gonna make it? Did you have that moment at any point where you were like, all right, I pushed through the low points and I know I'm going to make it to Katahdin? Uh, I mean, that that point really only happened for me once I got through the whites. I mean, every, everything leading up to the whites was, was just preparing for the whites. But, uh, you know, Virginia, they, they talk about the Virginia blues a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really experience the Virginia blues in the way that other people do. Um, and I think, I think that, I think that a lot of people just make the mistake of expecting Virginia to end at some point And it just never ends Virginia. Yeah. You're walking through Virginia for weeks or for months. And if you just accept that you're in Virginia for the rest of your life, then you never get the blues. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and what was your, what was your weight situation on the trail? Were you, did you, had you lost weight or were you still heavy at that point? Oh no, I, I, I'd lost weight. Uh, that was part of my journey was I, I, after I, after I lost weight and, and, you know, got excited and stoked on walking and, uh, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, I, that's when I decided to hike the trail and, you know, so my, I was at my lowest weight three or four months before hiking the Appalachian trail. And then, uh, I ate Ben and Jerry's every single night to prepare for the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, you fatten up a little bit, so you have yeah. reserves, right? Exactly. Yeah. I was I was down to like twelve percent body fat. Um so I had to I had to beef it up a little bit, you know? And uh yeah. And then so I I I I got halfway through and I was I was really thin again. And then right after I met my now wife and started getting that cush hike, that's when I started gaining weight on the trail again. The cush hike. <laughs> nice. And then how many miles a day were you doing? Uh twenty five on average. You were. So you you yeah. were cranking miles then. Oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm I'm long. I'm 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 six two. So, <laughs> did you did that match your trail family? Were you able to find enough people that were cranking miles like that that it would fit fit you? Yeah. So uh, my trail family was a small group of uh, me and one other hiker, and then uh, whatever suckers we got to hang on for a couple states with us. Um, they called us the blacktop boys and, uh, that other hiker, his name is boo boo boy. If he is listening, hit me up, boo boo boy. I miss you, buddy. (laughs) And then your name was, you, you, your trail name was Posy, right? Posy. Yes. What is that? Uh, How did, what's the origin of that? Oh, I'll get into that in a second. But, uh, yeah, boo boo boy is a, uh, he was a PCT hiker headed into the AT. So he, he was able to burn the big miles just like me. And I was just a, I, I, I picked up trail running uh, before hiking the AT. So I was just, my legs were ready for it. But uh, yeah, so Posse, um, my trail name, I was, this was night one, night one on the Appalachian trail. I was, uh, I was in the, uh, in a hostel with an older guy who had just taken a day or two off because it was raining cold, whatever, you know, Uh, his name was Boots and we're talking and he he's asking me a lot of questions about my life. Asked me like what I've been through all this kind of stuff, you know, as, as like the older generation tends to do when they, you know, there's a conceivably younger person in front of them. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> at some point he says, man, you've been through a lot of like really tough things in your life, but you managed to stay positive, you know, talked about, you know, my upbringing, my, you know, I, I 
I don't know if I ever told you guys this or if I ever told anybody on TikTok that I'm, I'm a convicted felon. Um, you know, the story that led to that and like cutting off my fingers, all that stuff. And he's like, you, you managed to stay positive and you know, that, that should be your trail name. So he, he tried to call me positive and I, I grew up in like punk rock, uh, East coast, punk rock, East coast, hardcore, where, where we call it like posi core and then, you know, like stay posi, stay positive, that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it just naturally stuck. I actually have, uh, PMA tattooed on my hands, positive mental attitude. So, um, yeah, posi just kind of worked for me and I, I, I really trade into the role anyway on, on trail. I was up every morning. It's like, come on guys, we get to hike 20 miles today. You know, so you were that annoying guy in the morning, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I still am. I, my, my wife is not a morning person. I thought it was like an automotive reference. Posi. Yeah. Posi differential. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been said for that too. Cause I go uphill really fast, but uh, my, <laughs> my wife wants me to go for trail runs um, in the morning before we hike together because I just have so much energy in the morning. Oh, nice. So, um, I wanted to just fire off a couple of sort of just, just rapid fire, um, questions. So some of these you already touched on, but how much money did you spend? Do you think on the, on the through hike? So, uh, this is actually a really fun part of this story too. I, so when I cut my fingers off, I spent all of my money on, hospital bills and all that kind of stuff. And I um, had a pretty decent Instagram following. Some of my Instagram followers reached out to me and said, Hey, if you start a GoFundMe, we'll support you. Um, so I ended up starting a GoFundMe, but my, my Appalachian trail hike was not going to happen. And uh, I started that GoFundMe and people donated. So the great thing about that was I was actually able to keep track of how much money I spent on trail because it was all the money that was donated. And it was about, uh, it was just over $7,000. Oh, wow. Wow. So yeah. you got that much. Wow. That's crazy. Interesting. Um, wow. So seven grand, but that's about what I hear people say is uh, on average, I think I've seen, and I don't know if it's like the Trek or somebody, they do like a, a questionnaire and I think it mm-hmm. seems like five to 7,000 is, is about average. So. Um, I don't know if that's changed. They say you should plan for about $2 per mile. Um, and that's that comes out for the AT to be somewhere in this $6,000 range. Got it. And then what about um, your footwear? Were you using boots or trail runners? Trail runners all day. Only trail runners. Uh, I went through a four and a half pair of trail runners, actually. <laughs> what brand? Um, I I am not one of those uh, name brand hikers. Uh, I they, I, I went with uh, Asics, I think Asic Gel Venture Sixes. Nice. I didn't. I didn't really go after you know the 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 big like uh, you know name brand. Yeah. Trail running shoes. Gotcha. Cool. What uh, What was your least favorite state? That's a hard one to answer. Uh, my least favorite state, man. Hmm. If I had to pick a least favorite state, I would probably have to say Tennessee. Because, um, and and I might be wrong, I might have this backwards, but I'm pretty sure it was Tennessee are the uh, shelters without privies in the Smokies. Hmm. Okay. So you got to grab a tree. Yeah. Interesting. And then now this is a New England, mostly a New England focused podcast. I think, you know, we get, we get listeners from all over, but I I don't know if people understand some of the highlights of the AT outside of like the whites, you know, and I know like there's the, that place where the horse, the the baby horses lick your ass and, you know, when you go up there and then there's the the McAfee knob and all that stuff. Like what, what are some of the like cool, amazing highlights that you, you know, if there's a couple of them, you could highlight on the AT that are not New England based? 
Well, I definitely had the Grayson Highlands on my list with the ponies that lick your ass. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, McAfee Knob was another beautiful one. I also, all of Pennsylvania, I, if, if anybody is ever looking for just a wonderful place to hike and they have access to Pennsylvania, go, even if it's not Appalachian Trail, if you, if you want to do Old Loggers Path or anything, uh, Le- Lehigh, I think there's Lehigh Valley Trail, something like that. Um, Pennsylvania is just beautiful, beautiful hiking. Your, your elevation gains aren't too aggressive, so you don't have to have, you know, high, super strong hiker capabilities to do it. Um, the only time that <laughs> the only time that you really need legs is coming in and out of town on the AT in Pennsylvania. Interesting. Yeah, I hear nothing but bad things about Pennsylvania. Everyone says, oh, it's the rocks and all this stuff. Yeah. So I, that's good to hear that somebody's got some positive stuff to say about Pennsylvania. Yeah, they complain about the rocks, but I mean, you know they're coming, so you just look down. I mean, if you've hiked that far on the Appalachian Trail, you're used to looking down anyway. It can't be worse than New Hampshire and Maine. I mean, you got no. rocks going uphill. Right, exactly. You get rocks and roots all over, especially northern New Hampshire and Maine. You just rocks and roots every other step. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, any injuries? Oh, yeah. Uh, Grafton Notch. I, I just got dropped off. Uh, I, and I hiked out of Grafton Notch. I get to the top of the first climb. I forget what mountain that is out there. But uh, I get to the top of that first climb, and I'm, I'm hiking down towards the shelter and uh, roll my ankle Ooh. to the size of, like, a grapefruit. Like, my – yeah. Oh, bad yeah. Timing. It was bad. Uh, and you – at that point in the Appalachian Trail, you've rolled your ankle a million times, you know, like <laughs> hmm. it's, it's got to be really bad to put you down. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I ended up hobbling to uh, this little stream just to put my ankle in the stream and, and setting up camp there. But a really fun thing happened that night, though, um, that I as I'm camping there, the uh, there's these footsteps that come up. Guy comes camp, says, hey, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to wait for my wife here. I'm like, yeah, cool. That's fine. Not a big deal. You know, start talking to him, find out his wife is somebody who I started the trail with, you know, months ago. And he is just returning from the CDT to uh, slack pack her through um, uh, Maine and ends up slack packing me for two days so I can heal my ankle. Oh, perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. Trail provides. I mean, every time you need something on trail, it provides. Wow. That's crazy. So eventually, so you make it through. You get to Katahdin, um, your, your future wife hikes with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about like as you're approaching Katahdin and when you finish, w- was the dread creeping in about like what what's next for me? Not as I finished. Um, I'm, I'm a bar. I was a bartender at the point at that point. So um, I, I actually, th- yeah, I had a, a job lined up through my wife, um, my then girlfriend. Um, I had a job job lined up for her from her starting at a local bar in town that just opened up. And, uh, so I, I, I didn't have too much to worry about in, in that aspect and in, in terms of like expecting to try to transition back into real life. Yeah. It sounds like you eased into it a little bit because you got like a glimpse of what life was going to, so you basically decided I'm going to, I'm going to settle in Vermont. So you had a, you had a view of what that world was going to look like over the course of a few weekends as, as she was taking you back and forth. Yeah. I also changed my whole life. I mean, I, I, I wasn't even expecting to live in Vermont after the trail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Straight up moved out. Yeah. And eventually, so you, you, you did transition into sort of regular life, right? Yeah, uh, begrudgingly so. I, uh, I, you know, I, I, 
actually I picked up drinking again. Um, as I was bartending, I, I started drinking again and uh, used that as a way to cope with uh, getting back into, you know, real life. Like, like I said, I, I, I didn't have a problem with the expectation, but then the reality struck afterwards and uh, really became a problem with, you know, trying to um, live a, a, a life where I could balance being outdoors and, and backpacking and uh, trying to earn money to be able to do those things. Got it. Yeah. And one of the things on your TikTok channel that comes up a lot is your journey and probably one of the most viral videos I think you made, which must have had like millions of views, um, you know, is sort of your work journey. So you were a bartender. It sounds like at some point you set that aside and said, you know, from a lifestyle change, I've got to, I got to switch it up. And then you were working in like a retail job. As far as I could tell you, like you were doing like overnight at a retail establishment, right? And you were basically on a team of people that was responsible for setting up the store overnight and making sure that everything was stocked and ready to go. And you, how long did you have that job for? I, yeah, I was the, uh, overnight, um, uh, night crew chief for a grocery store, uh, a, a local grocery store. Well, it's a national chain, but either way I was there for uh, nine months. Um, I started, I started during, I started days and, and immediately found a need to fill, uh, working overnight and, and got moved to that position. And I mean, they took care of me. They gave me money for it and everything, but uh, it wasn't long after taking that job over that they uh, started to uh, abuse. Not, not really me. Like they took care of me. They, they, they enjoyed me. I, I, I knew my job well and I was confident enough in my skills, but I watched them abuse the guys under me, the guys that worked for me. And I watched them chase off three or four solid workers and, people who I considered friends and, and, and people who were really good. And, and at some point I just had enough with the, the poor treatment of, you know, my, my coworkers and you know, it, just because it's not happening to me doesn't mean that I can't stand up for it. You know what I mean? So Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that's so striking to me and sort of my, my other job besides doing this dumb podcast with stomp is around sort of employment <laughs> engagement and making sure that, you know, uh, people are hired and all this stuff. So if your experience as I followed it through TikTok was almost like a microcosm of what I think has gone on with employment through COVID because you sort of started off as like thankful to have a job and you were, you know, doing your thing, coming in. Maybe they appreciated you, maybe they didn't, but it, it felt like watching you that over time, like it just became more and more like, you know, you should be grateful for working here and you just need to do whatever you're told and we're just going to keep shitting all over you. And, uh, you know, as we've seen with COVID, like I think the attitude around like a job has changed significantly and people are really looking at it and saying like, I need to find something that is going to make me feel valuable and people are going to appreciate me. And maybe money's not the primary, but like they need to, it needs to fit into my lifestyle and it needs to fit into my mental health needs so that I feel like I'm, you know, doing something that is appreciated and important. And I feel like that's sort of like, at some point you switch jobs and I, I don't know enough about this current job you're in, but the, what I picked up for your, your videos is that it seems like that's the place you're in at this point. Leaving that grocery store uh, for me was the first step in a very important part of my mental health journey. Um, that was that was a step for me in kind of standing up for myself and deciding to deciding to see more worth in myself and 
stepping forward. And I think you're absolutely right that it was kind of representative of, you know, the great resignation as they're calling it right now. And, and in the, the way that like a lot of people are kind of just deciding I've had enough with this and I've had enough of this and I can find a way to make, you know, ends meet and move forward, which is exactly what I did. I just, I took a leap of faith and there was a job opportunity for an agency that was in my town that I knew that if I could just keep my things together, I could get the job. So I just took a nosedive, like just dove headfirst into it and turned down three other job offers and just really, I, I want to be happy for once in my life. And, and you know, the, this job that I took, it gave me the hours, it gave me the time off. More importantly, it gave me employers that treat me with dignity, <laughs> which is yeah. something that I don't know that we're getting in retail. Um, I don't know it, that we're getting it. Um, I don't know that we were ever getting it in retail, but I think that uh, COVID is just kind of amplifying it at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, so we might as well just transfer transition into this. So at some point you did the long trail. Did you do that with your wife? Yes. My wife and I did the long trail together. All right. When, when we met, uh, she, she had told me that she had planned to do a hike and I was trying to dry out after, uh, you know, deciding that I had to quit alcohol again. This is, this is how I actually got sober again was the long trail, uh, put the booze down on day one and never touched it again. And, uh, her and I hiked together. I was planning to ask her to marry me, um, provided we could get through the first 10 days and get to Killington. And we did. And I proposed to her on the peak of Killington. Awesome. Awesome. And now you are, um, so you switched jobs and then you pretty quickly decided that you, you're going to go out West and hike the Pacific Crest Trail. You're taking your wife with you. So you're both doing this together. Um, how did you manage the discussion with your employer about that? I have to be careful because the, there are HIPAA regulations at play okay. here. Um, the agency that I work for, uh, they, they're, they, they're, it's a mental health agency. It, it's really important for them to take care of the mental health of their employees. So um, I, I sat them down and, and told them, you know, all the things that, I went through with my mental health journey and the things that I'm still learning about myself and how backpacking and being outdoors helps me with that. And uh, they're not very excited to have to replace me for six months, but um, they support my journey and, and they're happy to um, help me get what I need out of that journey. Got it. If Got that it. makes so, any sense at all. Yeah, no, that <laughs> makes sense. And then you're going to be out on the Pacific Crest Trail. So, what is your strategy there? So you're hiking with your wife, so you have to factor that in. Like it may not be, you know, she might have a different hiking style than you. And, you know, it's the long trail is one thing, but the Pacific Crest Trail is a little bit of a different scenario. So you got to think through this whole thing. It's not just about you now. And then you're also walking into a big year. Like it's a big snow year out there. So yes. you've got to figure out what you guys are going to do coming through the Sierras. Are you just going to mm -hmm. go northbound and, and hope that it works out? Or are you going to bounce around? Well, so we're, our plan right now is to go northbound. Our plan is to start in Campo and finish in Canada. Obviously, those things change. I mean, the one thing I learned on the AT was day one, you know, all of my plans, my itinerary went out the window. Like, things change on your hike, and you just you have to be able to, you know, turn and burn. Um, but like you said, because we're different hikers, I, I have my big, long legs, and I hike big miles. She doesn't hike big miles, and uh, – 
I'm fairly confident that at our pace, getting to Kennedy Meadows is going to take us long enough that, I mean, the snow is going to be an issue no matter what. <laughs> well, you're either going to deal with snow or you're going to deal with water crossings. Yes, exactly. So, take yeah, your pick. Yeah. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to suck. Um, but I'm, I'm at least confident that we're not going to get there so early that it's going to uh, do all of the things to us at once. But if we do, if we get there and it's too dangerous for it, I, I'll be fine. But if it's too dangerous for me to trust that she can get through some of those water crossings, then we're going to we're going to flip flop and we're going to hike south and we're going to we're going to hit it. You know, we're, we got to be versatile. You have to 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 survive a through hike like that. You just you have to be able to, you know, change and adapt and, you know, change your plans and do what you have to do. Got it. Well, it's been uh, it's been great talking to you. Stop. Did I miss anything? You got any questions for this guy? I feel like I've been monopolizing them. No, that's fine. I just was more curious about the TikTok social media side of it. Really. Um, so, how, what's what's your most viewed video? How many views? My oh boy, my most viewed video was uh, I call it the the piss kink video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's a one point nine million views. That's interesting. Uh, and. Are you getting paid? Yeah, it's 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 a video. Yes. Great. Yes, I I'm I'm not getting paid a lot. No, I know I can imagine. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, in January, I made like 150 dollars. Huh. You know, um, and that was that was a big kick because that was uh, January 1st was uh when I first got over 10,000 followers from from 9,000 to like 16,000 overnight. Yeah. And then it grew from there. I'm at like 20.2 now. Yeah. But yeah. um. Yeah, the social media thing. Like, I, I started social media back when I uh, was losing weight uh, originally. Um, I, I did. I got real big on Instagram, like I said, with the uh, donations and stuff like that. And uh, I lost about uh, 180 pounds. Mm. And um, amazing. Yeah, I, I yeah, and you know, I, I I took advantage of you know Instagram keto. Like back then, the, the exogenous ketones were big and. The keto movement was a huge thing, so everybody was following, you know, the, the ketogenic, you know, accounts and everything. So I, I got just under like ten thousand, I think, at that point, and it never really went anywhere. And when I was on the Appalachian Trail, I, I feel like I ended up uh, going dark because I decided halfway through that social media wasn't important for me anymore. Well, that sort of segues to my next question because there is some uh, research out there that is showing like a correlation between depression, suicide, and kids that use internet, social media excessively, but maybe not necessarily causality. What's your take on um, every, especially with COVID, by the way, all these kids getting ripped out of their usual routine, and now they're just buried in their computers, their phones, on social media. Any comment on that at all? Especially since you're in like the mental health side of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, what I what I do... Um at work is deal directly in, you know, the, the mental health of, of my community. And, uh, I see it every day. We, we see, we see worsening conditions. We see, uh, more and more people requiring uh, crisis intervention. Um, yeah. and I can't, I can't quite put, uh, my finger on the, the cause of it, but there definitely, I, I feel like there definitely is a, a correlation, um, especially in, in the younger people, with um, at least the habits to, you know, stay attached to an electronic device for sure. Yeah. And not just younger kids, but even us older folks just, yeah. it's an appendage. I do it all the time. Yeah. I, I'm literally always on my phone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I am too. Like I'll be like, uh, 
I'll go down like a rabbit hole on this TikTok stuff. I've gotten away from Facebook and Instagram for the most part, but I definitely like still go into TikTok and I'll go down these different rabbit holes. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it is a bigger issue around, you know, the one thing I like about hiking is that it sort of inspires me to say like, oh, I want to go check this place Absolutely. out. But are you, so Matt, are you going to, do you think you're going to do any YouTube stuff when you're on the PCT or are you just going to stick to TikTok? I've, I've tried YouTube. Um, I'm not great at YouTube. Uh, I've, I've never gotten more than like 200 subscribers on my YouTube channel. Um, my wife and I are going to try to do YouTube videos again on the Pacific crest trail, but, um, I, I'm mostly putting my, uh, energy into the one that's earning me income at at the moment. So TikTok, you know? Yeah. And I feel like you're, for whatever reason, like you've got the system down on that and I don't know what it is. Um, but you've got it down. So I would say, keep going with it. Like the, the YouTube thing is so hard. Like really like there's like, and I talked about it, like Dixie and Darwin, you know, they've got a lot of like, I think they've got their, their, their videos are optimized for YouTube at this point. Like Dixie, I think is much more engaging than Darwin in my opinion, but like New Hampshire hiker was probably the one sort of AT through hiker in the last couple of years that I've sort of been like, okay, I can, I can follow her and be entertained most of the mm-hmm. time. And the braids was okay too, is the other one. But other than that, like I have not been able to stick to anybody else on YouTube when it comes to hiking. Braids, braids is videos that she put together after she finished the trail were actually much better than the one she did on trails. Oh no. Yeah. I I'll definitely check those out, but she has the greatest Appalachian trail meltdown video of all time. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Like she just had the complete biggest meltdown. She's crying. She's like, I want to go home. This sucks. I'm miserable. Oh, yeah. it, it was like the greatest thing ever. Like I'm sure yeah. she looks back at it and laughs, but I'll put that in the show notes with the time. It's my, one of my favorite videos. We've all had that meltdown. I had that meltdown on trail. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> awesome. So we'll be following you on the Pacific crest trail and uh, you know, we'll look for the updates, but it was awesome for you um, to, to give us a little bit of your experience on the Appalachian Trail and talk about you know all kinds of different topics here. We're going to segue into the next segment, so we want you to hang out. You jump in whenever you want if you got any thoughts, and we're going to talk a little bit about White Mountain history, and then we're going to talk a little bit about snowmobile crashes. <laughs> yeah. Pretty diverse yeah. topic. <laughs> exactly. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? So, Stomp, do you want to kick off segment two where we're going to talk about a World War II POW camp in New Hampshire? Like, what the hell is yeah, that? That's really cool. I, I knew about this, but this uh, this last weekend I met um, with the, the good folks over at Reckless and Marlena, one of the co-owners, gave me a book uh, called Cruising New Hampshire History. And, you know, Mike, you're into all the, the green signs, historical signs all over the state. Mm-hmm. This book is a compendium yep. of pretty much all of them. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of them. Do you have this, Mike, by any chance? You sent me uh, uh, a picture of it, so I'm going to go buy it okay. um, somewhere. The author's name but, is... Yeah, it's, it's right up our alley. It's Michael Bruno. So, you know, I was, you know, just in prepping for this show, I was thinking, oh, you know what would be really cool is to dig into Stark a bit. Um, let me just read you what the sign says. Quote, in the spring of 1944, a high fence and four guard towers transformed a former civilian conservation corps camp on this site into New Hampshire's sole 
World War II prisoner of war camp. Approximately 250 German and Austrian soldiers, most captured in North Africa and Normandy, lived in the camp while working in the forest cutting pulpwood, vital to wartime industry. The camp closed in the spring of 1946 when the prisoners of war were returned to their homeland. Several maintained the new friendships they had formed with local residents. Germans and Americans attended a reunion here in 1986. Now, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Stark, but Stark is at the northern end of Unknown Pond. It's past Cabot. It's south of the Percy Peaks. Um, it's very close to Nashreen Forest, and it's right on the Ammanusuk River. Mm-hmm. You have all these soldiers from North Africa that were basically conscripted, no, conscripted, thank you, into service for the Nazi party and the, the war effort. The POWs were were stranded, basically. They couldn't send them to Britain. They couldn't send them anywhere. Britain was at, at risk of just being overwhelmed. So they took a lot of these uh, POWs back to America by boat. I mean, it's it's interesting to find out that the nation had about 700 camps with about 450,000 POWs at the time. I had no idea when you showed me this info. I had no idea that that was that volume, but I think my impression was is that this crew, like they kind of screen, screen them out, and I, th- I think it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Snow, but it seems like they kind of screened the prisoners out to say like, okay, you're a hardcore Nazi, maybe you're staying somewhere else. But like a lot of these were like, a lot of these people were just like, they were drafted. Conscripted. And they weren't necessarily like, yeah, they were like basically not necessarily like Nazis or even supportive of the, the program. They just got captured and they, you know, maybe they were just deemed as like less threatening. Right? Yeah, you, yeah, here's your rifle. You're heading to North Africa. So, I mean, it's really interesting. And at the time, the government was trying to abide by the Geneva Conventions and trying to get the word out to German soldiers that we're going to treat you okay, if you, if you surrender. So there was that political dynamic in the background as well. Long story short, you have about 100 to 250, 300 um, POWs that arrive from Camp Devons and they get shipped up to Stark, New Hampshire uh, by bus and they have to walk this long road walk up to the camp and their job was to fill the empty workspaces for a company named, um, what was it? The Brown Company. The Brown Company was a logging uh, industry that was providing wood to local businesses to, you know, for the timber and logging and all that stuff. So they're ju- you know, most of the, the workers that Brown Company had had gone to war or they'd moved elsewhere to Massachusetts, Connecticut for better jobs. So the POWs against the Geneva Convention, which says you cannot put POWs to work. They bent the rules and they got these guys working for Brown Company. And that's what they were doing. They were cutting wood at Camp Stark for for pretty much two years from like 1944 to 1946 when it closed. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, You know, the word is that they got along well. It was a fairly casual um, environment, you know, (laughs) no summary you know, friggin' Nazi executions or anything by any means. The, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? The townspeople treated them well. Um, some of the people still live there to this day with their families. So it's absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, if you go to the spot today, you'll see the sign. 
And it's very simple. If you go to Stark, you cross that big metal bridge and you get that big rock cliff wall in front of you. You take a right. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly where that is. You you drive up that road a few miles and you'll see the sign on the right. And what's left at this point is just more or less an overgrown field, but you may see some concrete foundation work. And, um, you know, apparently the... Um, the camp itself had guard towers and things like that. And there were actually some escapees. If you look it up on YouTube, there are videos of um, people that had actually dug tunnels to get to escape. And there's one famous escapee. This guy's name is Franz Baha. It's spelled B-A-C-H-E-R, but it's Baha. And he was an, a 27-year-old Austrian who was an artist. He would draw paintings of the guards and things like that. He escaped. And he hiked 20 miles to Jefferson and then from there somehow made it down to uh, New York City where he lived as a painter selling his work on the street. And there were times where he was just living on a, you know, a bench in New York Central Park. He did that for about six months, if I recall correctly, until somebody recognized him from prior dealings and sure enough, the guy got caught. And um, I, I, I think for the most part, most of the, the escapees felt that, you know, it's probably better to just hang it out tough at the camp because they were just finding themselves stuck in the, the brisk roughness of the whites living on berries and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm just going to work and uh, <laughs> make the best of it. I wonder, so, so Matt, just, just bear with me for a minute here. So I'm wondering, Stomp is German, and I'm wondering, is yeah. he bringing this subject up? Because one of these guys <laughs> hopped the fence in his, his great-grandpa stomp. Could it be? I, is my last name Baja? I mean, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, is last name Magnuson? Jimmy Baja. That's it. I, I was wondering about the stomp Magnuson already. So. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. That was, just could a, be. that was just a red herring. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's crazy. So pretty neat. So they were there for like three years working for the uh, the the paper mill and and living up there. So do you know how many of them? How many of them actually just ended up staying in the U.S.? I'm not sure. I think it's just a handful. I mean, when you read accounts of the 1986 reunion, they they make it seem like it was a minimal amount. Like you know, perhaps a handful of guards, local townsfolk, and POWs. Wow. Well, if these guys were in Northern Africa fighting under Rommel and oh, like, yeah. those conditions or they were in Normandy, like they must have thought that like getting dropped off in the middle of the woods in New Hampshire was like heaven. I don't know. I don't know what they would have thought at the time, but you know, it, it's not hospitable. Unless they got dropped off in the winter. Oh, yeah, yeah, the winter would be crazy. They spent a couple winters there. And it's like interesting. They had pants and, and clothes, uh, you know, tops and bottoms with PW painted on them for prisoner of war. So pretty interesting time. If anybody wants to check it out, that book is fantastic, but there's a ton of stuff online actually with actual footage of the camp and stuff like that. It's just, it's amazing. So a little bit of history from New Hampshire. Yeah, that's very cool. So Camp Stark, and I will, uh, I'll load up the show notes with some pictures, some links. I'll link to that book. I'm going to go buy that book somewhere. And um, yeah, that's a very cool one, Stomp. When you sent this over, I was like, I had no idea. And I'm shocked that there was that many prisoners of war in the U.S. Um, oh, yeah. Back in World War II. Right. Yeah, and about so, what? What was it, like 50,000 to 160,000 in New England by 1943? 
Amazing. I didn't know there was any. Yeah, it's it's no, it's crazy and astounding. We, and when you think about it, like think about like as we're growing up, like our big thing was like the war on terror, and then we're going over and fighting in the Middle East, and we're you know we're probably capturing some bad guys, probably like some good people mixed in there. I don't know. But like our whole philosophy around this stuff, like we used to be like, yeah, let's bring in almost a million people and we'll hold them in prisoner of war. Like it was like an act of God to even get one of these like people during the war on terror, like on the U.S. soil. Like they had to keep everybody in Cuba. Like it's so different, like the perspective now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wild. Another point on that, that back to this Brown company, you, you forget that during the war effort, companies had quotas that they had to meet, people forget how intense it was back then. There was such a a need for just industrial product to supply the war effort. Like this Brown company was like, holy shit, we got to get people to help us to meet our quota. (laughs) It's like a whole different world, man. Yeah, like there's no way that they would hold my job if I was going to hike the PCT. No way that the Brown company's (laughs) going to do that. Yeah, it it actually reminds me like in, in... the recent COVID days, I think there was, I forget the term, but the presidential term where they, the government takes over industry. What's the term for that? Because they did that with COVID as well oh, for production. Know. Yeah, that's right. They had like a, there was like a law or something. I know what you're talking about. I'll look it up and try to find that. Yeah, it's just notes. an interesting topic. Yeah. But yeah. cool. All right. Well, are we, uh, any more questions on this? So we want to move on to recent search and rescue news. <laughs> Let's move on to the crashes and all that other good stuff all right yeah so make sure you get your audio drops you got to get some car crashes or whatever but actually matt i forgot <laughs> to ask you like did you have any close calls did you ever have to call nine one one and and i need a rescue uh no uh thankfully i have never actually needed a rescue myself um i i've been I, the last time i did the pemi loop I, I i walked up on a guy who was bleeding from his head and uh I hung out with him until his friends showed up and assured me they were going to be with him until rescue showed up. But that's the yeah. closest I've gotten. Ugh, cause thank God we would have had to cancel the show if you if you had gotten a rescue. We wouldn't let, we wouldn't be able to let you on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, that, that's good. So um, yeah, this weird stuff happens in the Pemi Loop. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like the Pemi Loop is something that people just kind of jump into, you know, and it's it's pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, so Stump, we're going to start with two hiker stories and then we'll get into the snowmobile crashes. Yeah. So the first one is uh, up in Maine. So it is, uh, (laughs) this is a headline you never want to see. It's a double whammy. So poor planning and poor decisions is the headline. Hikers rescued from Spalding Mountain. So game warden said two New York men, one guy was 36, the other was 70, weren't ready for a hike in Maine in winter. So Game wardens rescued these two New York, New York men from Spalding Mountain on Tuesday, saying the hikers weren't prepared for winter conditions in northwest Maine. So 36- and 70-year-old guys from New York, hmm. they were on the mountain early Tuesday night, and Maine Warden Service said in a news release uh, put out on Wednesday they had to rescue them. So the two set out at 8 a.m. on Tuesday, planning a 15-mile portion of the AT, including Mount Abram, Spalding Mountain, and Sugarloaf. Uh, the Warden Service said uh, the pier was slowed by deep snow and had made it only about halfway through their intended hike when the sun set. Uh, the guys found shelter at Spalding Mountain lean-to, but they lacked food, 
water, and proper equipment. Hmm. So there's only three things missing, food, water, and proper equipment. <laughs> um, but other than that, they were good. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess the temperatures dropped to the single digits, and uh, around 545, they called 911. Luckily, they had cell connection, and uh, the game wardens advised uh, them to stay at the lean-to and start a fire. Three game wardens went up on the mountain on a snowmobile. They were able to get within about a mile Um to reach them. That's something we didn't talk about stomp was, you know, game wardens using snowmobiles to get to, get to hiking rescues. But, um, the wardens determined there's some of the best riders out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they were able to hike them out to the snowmobiles. Um, they all had snowshoes. So that's one thing they did have. And then they got down on the mountain on snowmobiles arriving at the base around 1am. All right. So the quote here from game warden, Kyle Laetic, is poor planning coupled with poor decisions stranded these hikers in a very dangerous condition. They were very fortunate we were able to get to them quickly. So they weren't happy. So um, I did a little digging on this one, Stomp. These two guys, I guess one of them at least, maybe two of them, they were doing like the New England winter 111 or 115 or whatever it is. And uh, they were pretty active on social media and you know, so they're experienced hikers. They should know better, I think. But one of these guys also had a rescue on falling waters. Like in 2018, he had to get rescued on falling waters. Mm. Okay. What happened then? Do you know? Uh, he, I don't know the details. Somebody had posted it on the Facebook group and said that this guy had a, ple- a, a rescue report. I think he twisted an ankle or something or, or it got dark and he had no, I, I don't really remember yeah. what the details are, but he's a two-time rescue guy. Wow. A twofer. All right. So the next one is a, next one's a quick one here. Um, the headline is this is in the Adirondacks. Hiker stumbles across body in the Adirondack Mountains. Wow. All right. So I, I do a lot of stuff in the mountains, but stumbling, I mean, occasionally, <laughs> but I definitely would never stumble across a body. I would probably run away from it. <laughs> um, Oops. Sorry. Didn't see you. Yeah, ooh, I just tripped over you, sorry. But um, yeah, this so this guy was hiking in um, Lake George, New York, and he found this body at the base of Shelving Rock Falls, which is a waterfall. So looks like the guy died after a fall. He was on a waterfall, and he had to be lowered from where he was discovered about a third of the way up. So they're still investigating what happened there, but it was a 55-year-old guy fell down a waterfall. So I don't know. I remember we had one of those when... Um, was it last year or the year before somebody fell down at Arthusa Falls? Oh, yeah. Well, there was a suicide. Or, well, not a suicide, but there was like a person that they ran ahead of their family Reckless. and then they found him at the base. So nobody knows if he slipped or jumped on purpose. Wow. Yeah. I almost went down the fall. Uh, what's the one headed into Grafton Notch as, you, as you're coming down into Grafton Notch? There? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what that is, I, but like, that's stuff. crazy. Yeah, I, I did that. I did that in, in complete darkness and slipped onto that waterfall there and almost went over the edge. Oh yeah, yeah. That sort of like that fall looks like it could. So this is Grafton Notch. Like there's a fall that just goes down, and it almost looks like you could Goonies that thing and go down and survive. <laughs> but like I don't think you could. <laughs> I almost accidentally. Yeah, Great yeah. it looks like you could send it, but I don't think you want to send it if it's running hot. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, good. All right, Stomp. So, are you ready? We've got one, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We may not get just to just we have ten. skim them because they're all the same. I'm skim them. It's it's just unbelievable. I'm going to skim them. Yeah, we mentioned this like a week ago. 
just the, just the fact that fishing game is so busy right now, not necessarily on hiking trails, but with just snowmobiles. And this is something that they do quite a bit. And, you know, the listeners should be aware of this because it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's it's crazy, the volume here. So I am going to, uh, I'll stop banging through these. So this first one's Chatham, New Hampshire, 52-year-old person from Pelham. So Chatham is over by like... Um, Freiburg in that area there. That's my, my like my in-laws neck of the woods. So um, left-hand turn through an open gate on trail and this guy took a wide turn and hit the gate. It was an open gate, but he hit the, uh, hit the side of it and he had a leg injury. So that's one. Yep. That's over by Freiburg, but on the New Hampshire side. So I think that's over by like, that's got to be like by Evans Notch gates, in that area. Gates there. are a huge problem, especially bridges too, like those small bridges. Those posts on left and right, you got to watch out for those. I got a story about that. We'll we'll cover in a minute too. My one and one and only time snowmobiling. So mm. I got another one here. So second one is a, a crash occurred by quarter nineteen. That's one thing I notice on these things that they call them quarter. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just like a grid system. It is. Yep. Um, yep. Like eleven is Jefferson yep. Notch all the way up to Wombeck. You know, so they're all they're all oh, numbered and it. labeled, and they're map specific for snowmo. Got it, got it. So this next one here, so nine in the morning, so she must have just got out there. Twenty uh, nine year old from Warwick, Rhode Island, and she had a passenger with her. Um, they had been riding. They failed to make a right hand turn, went over a steep bank and rolled it. So as a result, the snowmobile uh, sustained significant damage, and uh, they had serious but non life threatening. Injury. Oh, she did, and then there was a youth passenger that was not injured. So, mm. um, on the same day, a second accident occurred on quarter twelve, which is Berlin, mm. and uh, this was a sixty-two-year-old dude from Fitchburg, Mass, and he was ejected from the snowmobile um, when he struck an exposed rock on the trail, causing the snowmobile to tilt. So he must have been ripping, hit the rock, tilted, overcorrected, and went flying. So uh, they called 911 and they got an ambulance out there and they took him took him to Andrewsgogan Valley Hospital. Yeah. Um, the third one of the day was on Primary Trail 127. This is in Stewartson, New Hampshire. I don't really know where that is. Um, 62-year-old dude, another 62-year-old dude from Nashua um, drove off trail and hit a tree. So I guess he got too close to the edge of the trail and his ski got pulled into the soft snow. It, that happens. I don't really know. Like, I guess it does. Yeah, okay. it can happen. Um, yeah, so non-life-threatening injuries and Colebrook Fire Department was on the stick on that one. Alcohol and drugs were not a factor in any of these trails. Inexperience and inattention appeared to be the primary contributing factor to all Bingo. Three. And that happened on one of my, my tours, actually. I had... Um, a wonderful family with their two children. So they had two double sleds and um, the woman, um, you know, we're going up over Mitten Mountain, which is east of Mount Martha and Owl's Head. And she just, Mm -hmm. it's a windy trail uphill. And she just gazed off to the right to look at the sun and uh, boom, just went right off trail. Inattention. But inexperience is huge too. If you don't know how to turn these things... You know, it, it, there's a learning curve for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so I'm going to bang out three more here. <laughs> so we've got on January 22nd, 
We've got a uh, 43-year-old um, gentleman from Sanborton, New Hampshire, was operating in Bethlehem, New Hampshire, when he lost control of the machine and struck a telephone pole. What is a telephone pole doing in the middle of the world? <laughs> what is happening? Well, think of this. You know where Lowe's is? Lowe's store in Appalachia. Yeah. There's that gigantic oh, railroad bed that runs for like 20 miles uh, east to west. Yeah. There's plenty of those all over the place. So that's that's what they're talking about. So there's high tension wires. Is yeah, there's poles, all kinds of stuff. So this, yeah, that's true yeah. because I've I've like hiked that loop where you go from like Castle Ridge over to Lowe's, and, you, and you're right. That's all nothing but high tension. Right, wires. and right now yeah. it is a racetrack. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That is true. So. So this guy ate it. He um, ended up getting transferred to Dartmouth Hitchcock. So uh, he sustained serious injuries, which is not good. Um, next one here is 32-year-old um, Steerfield, New Hampshire, operating a snowmobile south on Primary Trail 345 when he stated he made a sudden maneuver by avoiding striking a dog on the trail. So not his fault, but... Um, doing so caused him to lose control of the snowmobile, at which time he was thrown from the machine and hit a tree. So non-life-threatening injuries, he had to go to Franklin Regional Hospital. Yeah. So. Hmm. Um, next one, another 62-year-old female operator from, let me see, West Roxbury, Mass. She had a rental snowmobile. She lost control of the machine and ended up crashing Witness statements and evidence at the scene indicated that inattention and not excessive speed was the primary contributing factor. There you go. So, I don't know what that means, but maybe she was texting. Yeah. Uh, let me see here, Stomp. I got a few more. There's, yeah. Make sure we cover that fatality. Yeah, I got that one coming up for the end. That's it's too bad, but... Um, Here's another one, 49-year-old from South Kingston, Rhode Island. A couple of Rhode Island people, 49-year-old female, took a turn while operating a snowmobile that she and her husband had rented. Shortly after taking control of the, v the machine, she accidentally hit the throttle while making a turn, causing her to lose control of the machine and strike a tree. Inex There's so many trees out there. <laughs> exactly. She was thrown from the machine during the crash, striking a tree with her body as well. So uh, following the crash, it was she was discovered by other members of her party, and she was given a ride back to her rental cabin. Once at the cabin, her pain got too much, and they had to call for help. And she was taken to an ambulance to Upper Connecticut Valley Hospital in Colebrook. So mm. subsequent investigation of the crash revealed that operator inexperience was a major contributing factor. She's wearing the proper equipment, um, and they were all cooperative with the investigation. Uh, and then I think this is the last, well, second to last one. So Trail 112, 32-year-old dude from Danville, New Hampshire, which is pretty much Massachusetts, and a riding partner were traveling west. Um, riding with a second group of two, traveling into a right-hand turn. Um, they failed to negotiate the turn and entered the left-hand side of the trail when they hit. What do you think happened when they went over the left side of the trail? So they, hit another, they hit another snowmobile coming the other oh, direction. See, that's, that's the worst-case scenario. Absolutely worst-case yeah. scenario. That magnifies your, your potential for injury like 100 times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's bad news. Yeah, dude, this was a bad one. So guy was ejected from the snowmobile, which caused his body to slam into the other machine. Uh, helmet came off. 
the whole deal. They called 911 and um, they ended up, you know, pulling him out in a helicopter with Dart. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, sure brutal. Is. Yeah, brutal situation there. Um, and then the last one was actually a fatality that happened on Friday, last Friday. So um, this is up in Pittsburgh, New Hampshire. Gentleman from Mansfield, Mass. I don't have the age. Was operating on Corridor Trail 20 when he lost control, struck a tree on the side of the trail, and had significant injuries. And unfortunately... Um, he was riding with somebody else. They turned around. Another witness came across and called nine one one. They were the police responded to the scene, and he was transported to the hospital. But he was later pronounced dead. So it's serious business with these snowmobiles. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it, experience is a, a key to riding these things. Um, and if you're not experienced, then you you should really go with somebody that knows what the hell they're doing just to educate you and bring you out onto the trails that are reasonable. It's just like anything else, you know, even getting used to yeah, the, the mechanism yeah. of the machines, the throttle, the brake, everything else, you know, so much goes around. As, as you can see here, I mean, Jesus, it's been like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And the, yeah, this is all like within the last two weeks, this is like 10 or 12 accidents that have happened. And, you know, my one experience with, with snowmobile, I talked about this a little bit last week, Snow, but I didn't get into the details, but it was me and two friends. We went up to the Forks, rented machines in our mid-20s. Everybody thinks that they're like, a you know, Dale Earnhardt. And I was a little bit more cautious, but my two buddies, you know, they go out on the frozen lake. They come back. They're ripping down this trail, and they hit, one of them hit one of these bridges. You know those bridges where they got the two... You know, they have the, like, it's the slats going this way, and then the two things for the tires for the truck to go across. Oh, but, like, yeah. if you get in the middle. Yeah. So he hit that thing going, like, 60 miles sixty miles an hour, and he didn't, one side of the ski hit where the wheels go for the truck. The other went into the slats. So he's going, like, sideways, and then right off the trail, and, you know, the, the machine flips over. He's knocked out. My other friend's right up his ass, and then I'm, like, a half a mile behind. I come rolling up, and, like, one snowmobile's in the woods. One of my buddies is knocked out. The other buddy's, like, trying to get him to get back to, like, sanity. He probably had a concussion or whatever. Finally, he woke up. And but the machine we had to turn that over. He was able to get it started again, but it was wrecked, mm. and it just sucked. It was like a, you know. So don't be. Was us. that a rental? Did you say? It was oh, rental. Boy. Yeah, I, he probably ended up. It probably cost him ten oh, yeah. grand. Yeah. Oh yeah. You own then. that thing if you if you crash it. They, they're yeah. brutal with that. Amazing. I'm just gonna stick to snowshoes. It scared me away from snow machines. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Although the longer you're in Vermont, though, the more likely it is you're going to be on one of those machines. So you just got to play it safe. I, I was just gonna say, I think I'm, I'm going to take your advice and, and go with a guide my first time for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's an interesting thing. It's like the weekends are so busy that there's there's almost I don't know. There's so many people on the trail that there there's less of the high speeders, but there are some out there. So paradoxically, midweek can actually be, be more dangerous because some of the high-speed, more talented people out there are zipping. They're mm. ripping it. And if you're out there, it can be a, a really dangerous time, actually. Less people on trail, but like, pff, it's a very interesting culture. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to getting back to the hiking rescues. I, they, yeah. I feel like the stakes are a lot higher when you're in the snowmobile. Like, the room for error is... 
is is a lot smaller yeah. on those things. Yeah. So, but that's it, man. We did it. We did it, Matt. You made it through. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that was rough. He did fine. No, man. I thought it was. I thought it was good. It's a little bit of a different. Like it's 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 the long form versus like what you're used to doing, like the one two minute videos. Yeah, it just takes a little bit of a. Um, you got to let yourself get into the into the discussion and in the moment, not worry about like what it's going to come out like. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> I realize that now. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 